calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Usually, foreclosed homes like the one I bought a few weeks ago fall into bidding wars between three or even four investors such as myself, but I didn't have any competition this time. No, when the bank set the price at just 60k plus fees, I submitted an offer and expected to pay at least 90,000 by the end, but Friday came around and the bank told me I had submitted the only bid. So, for a measly 60k, I acquired a small ranch home just on the edge of town with half an acre in the front and one in the back. The backyard had been fenced in nicely at one point with tall boards coming to rounded points. A few of those boards have split and fallen away now, but I thought the fence could be updated rather than replaced. The front yard was also fenced in, but I thought that fence would have to go. It was just your basic chicken wire deal that came up to about my diaphragm but the previous owner made a little addition to it. Barbed wire. And I'm not talking about the stuff you see around an old cow pasture with a few rusty points here and there. I'm talking about prison-grade, razor-edged barbed wire layered from the top all the way to the ground. I asked the representative who turned the house over to me if the previous owner had had a dog, and she just shrugged. Ask around the neighborhood. I'm sure the neighbors will have all sorts of juicy stuff to tell you, she said. I asked. Why do you say that? She answered by shrugging and saying, When you look inside, you'll see what I mean. Seems like the kind of place the neighbors would gossip about. Mine would anyway. She let me inside but did not follow. I didn't question her, because even from the entryway, I could see her reason. There was barely anywhere to walk. There may have been a path through the piles of junk at some point, but it hadn't existed for some time. The house was in as bad a shape as any I had seen on reality TV. I half expected the hoarder's crew to show up and stick a camera in my face. Trash bags filled with God knows what supported much of the pile near the front door. 
I imagined the previous owner always tied off his trash and left it by the front door so he could take it out the next time he went outside. The catch was, he never went outside. When I climbed and waded to the right, I ended up in the kitchen. It reeked. The whole house stunk, but I think the gassy body of the stench originated in the kitchen where stacks of unwashed dishes towered on the countertops. I also found two bags of Instacart groceries that had never been put away, which included sliced cheese and ham, a dozen eggs, and a bag of Brussels sprouts that had inflated like a balloon from all the farting bacteria inside it. I could see why these items had never been put in the fridge. The fridge couldn't be opened. There were too many kitchen appliances, containers, pots, and pans on the floor. I had to be careful not to set my foot in a blender or a food processor. I made a note to bring work boots next time. Honestly, discovering I couldn't open the fridge was a bit of a relief. I'm not sure I was ready for the horror show that likely awaited beyond that yellowish-white door. Look, I could spend the next hour describing the state of every room, but I think you get the picture. Overall, it seemed like a combination of shopping addiction, agoraphobia, and, I'm sure I'm not supposed to call it this, but laziness, had plagued the previous owner and created the disaster which I had gleefully paid $60,000 for. I thought I could still turn a profit on the house, but holy heck, it was going to take a lot more work than I had hoped. Of all the stuff jammed into that house, there were no dog toys, food bowls, leashes, or the like. It didn't appear a dog had lived in that house behind the barbed wire fence. So was it to keep someone or something out? I don't think the bank rep could have been more wrong about the neighbors. I thought people would flock to me and tell me all about the weirdo who lived in the house I had just bought but I only saw any neighbors if I caught them peeking through their windows at me. Otherwise, they kept to themselves. No one in the neighborhood seemed to leave their houses. I rented a giant dumpster in order to start cleaning out the house. I also ordered a military-grade gas mask and a pair of Kevlar gloves. To get the dumpster into the yard, I wanted it as close to the front door as possible. I had to take down a section of fence. I planned on taking the whole thing down eventually. I just didn't have time yet. I removed a big enough section to allow the truck to back in and lower the dumpster right next to the front step. Then I got to work. I wasn't picky about what I threw away. I figured the odds of anything valuable being inside were slim to none. Let's skip ahead to Tuesday morning. I showed up at the house that morning ready for my second full day of cleaning. A rough-looking old man in a tattered women's coat with matted fur trim was sitting on the front step when I arrived. I gave him a friendly wave and said, If you want to go through the dumpster, go ahead, but I've got a lot of work to do, so I just ask that you leave me alone. I tried not to sound rude, but I'm sure my face betrayed my irritation at his intrusion. If you want to be left alone, you'd best fix that fence, son, the old man said. I guessed his age at about 70. He had a thick beard and a patchy bald head that looked like he had shaved with a dull razor and no mirror. Something about his eyes made me uneasy. They were deep blue and full of emotion, but yet lacked any sign of understanding. He seemed so distant, yet immovably present at the same time. I'll replace that fence eventually, I said. Gonna tear down the whole thing, just don't have time yet. The man looked appalled at this. He sprang up, an action I had not considered him capable of, and walked swiftly toward the broken down section of fence. He cried, No, 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 you must repair it. You must keep the barricade up. You must... I interrupted him as he reached down to pick up a section of fence from the ground. Sir, I'm going to ask you to leave now. If I have to ask again, I'm calling the cops. The cops? 
the old man asked, but he didn't sound worried. He sounded amused at the suggestion. You think I'm afraid of being arrested? Look at me, son. The police can't do anything worse to me than you did. What I did? I asked. What's worse than kicking an old man out of his own home? Now let's see. He returned his attention to the fence. I gaped at him for almost a minute. This crazy old guy was the previous owner. The wreck responsible for all the junk I planned on spending the next week emptying out. As I watched him, he continued muttering on and on about how I had to keep up the barricade and keep the house safe. Hey, you know what? I finally said. I really don't think you're supposed to be here. I mean, if I'm being honest, you're making me pretty uncomfortable. The man threw back his head and laughed, and I immediately caught the terrible irony in what I had said. I'm making you uncomfortable? Son, I slept on a pallet of bricks last night, and I'm not exaggerating. He laughed again, but cut himself short when he pricked his thumb on a barb. Well, you know, I'm not the one who foreclosed on you, man. I just bought this house from the bank. I don't know anything about you or your situation. All I know is that you stopped making payments, and I started. Well, I hope you enjoy this place, the man spat. All laughter had left his face. I felt a little afraid of him now, but also sorry. He had clearly fallen on hard times, and at his age, I didn't imagine he had many options for improving his station. I told him more gently this time that if he didn't leave, I would be forced to call the police. He gave me a hard look, hard but also deeply sad, then turned his back and hobbled away. When I arrived the following morning, it looked like someone had tried to break into the house. The doorknob had been rattled with enough force to loosen it in the lock set. Fortunately, the bolt lock had stayed in place. I'm not sure what anyone thought they would find in that nasty place, but it made me nervous and put me on guard while I excavated the living room. I considered getting a restraining order against the former owner, because I couldn't imagine anyone else would have tried to break in. He said he had slept on bricks, so maybe he had just wanted his old bed again. Too bad he had covered it with unwashed clothes, empty toiletry bottles, and wrinkled magazines. The rest of the day passed without incident. I almost took the next day off. The local news was sounding the alarm about a potentially violent storm moving up Tornado Alley. The meteorologist said to expect winds up to 70 miles per hour and possibly even a tornado. I decided at a minimum I should cover up the dumpster with a secure tarp before the storm came, so I grabbed one out of my garage and headed over to the house. In those early morning hours, you never would have known a storm was on its way. The pale pink sky seemed to greet the sun the way a small child greets their mother. Looking up at that clear sky, I thought I could get a little work done before securing the tarp. The coming storm made me think to investigate the basement, which I hadn't looked at since the first day. It really wasn't much more than a storm cellar anyway. Somewhat ironically, the basement was actually the cleanest part of the house. Don't get me wrong, it was still a pit but it didn't have any shoulder-high piles of garbage like every other room did. No, it appeared the previous owner was too lazy to go down the stairs. I found a collection of paint cans, most empty or empty enough that the paint in them had dried. One had tipped over God knows how long ago and left a tacky puddle almost three feet wide. Most of what I found down there was empty cardboard boxes that had been carelessly tossed down the stairs. I decided the basement would make a nice quick project for what I had predicted to be a half day of work and started hauling boxes up and out. I started finding children's toys on the floor as I progressed through the cardboard cluster. This gave me pause since I hadn't found anything belonging to or relating to children upstairs. 
They were old toys, too. The types of toys you might find tucked away in your grandparents' attic. There was a collection of canvas dolls, a wooden train, a tin of dominoes, a few toy instruments, and then a few rubber toys that I believe were meant for a dog, not children. Not only were these the first children's items I had found, they were the first I considered valuating. Antique toys can fetch a decent price from the right buyer. I didn't know if these were actually antique, but a stormy afternoon seemed like a great time to do some research. Using one of the last boxes, I loaded up the toys, including the dog toys, and brought them upstairs. The storm had rolled in fast. When I got to the top of the stairs, I could already hear the heavy patter of rain on the poorly insulated roof. I set the box of toys at the top of the stairs and went to the front window. Sure enough, junk was already blowing out of the dumpster. I hadn't planned on getting caught in the storm and had neglected to bring a raincoat. I went out into the cold rain, made so much colder by the forceful wind that had brought it, and started wrestling with the tarp. I anchored one side before the tornado sirens went off. I looked from the house to my car and back again, then cursed into the wind. Getting caught by a tornado in my car would not end well. I hogged my soggy, cold self back to the front door and opened it. But before I went inside, I heard a voice behind me say, Let us come with you. In hindsight, that voice was too quiet, too soft for me to have heard over the wind. But I did hear it and turned to see who was there. I saw a boy of about 15 with a much younger girl, maybe nine, holding a small dog in her crossed arms. I wanted to tell them to get lost, but their clothes were as wet as mine, and the sirens kept screaming doom. Come on, I told them, stepping aside so they could enter. They eagerly walked through the open fence and went into the house. After I closed the door, shutting out the howling wind and whining sirens, the boy said, Thank you for rescuing us, sir. The girl standing perfectly straight next to the boy added, You have saved us. We are eternally grateful to you. I bristled at their unnatural, stiff manner of speech. They sounded like characters out of Oliver Twist, minus the accent. I didn't like the way the dog looked at me either. In fact, none of their eyes seemed friendly. Despite the gratitude they voiced, the children looked at me like they would have preferred I not be there at all. Well, I'd tell you to make yourselves at home, but as you can tell, this place isn't very homey yet, I said. This is not your home, the boy stated. I tried to decide if he had meant this as a question or simply an observation. Well, I own the place, but I live somewhere else, I explained. Are you two siblings? Let us retreat to safety, the girl replied, seemingly dodging the question. Oh, right, uh, the basement is this way. I led them around to the top of the stairs and kicked the box of toys out of the way. A rainbow marimba tinkled as the box slid, and the girl broke her weird character for a moment. She handed the dog off to her brother, ran forward, and tossed the box's flaps aside. Are you throwing these out? She asked, suddenly sounding like a normal little girl. No, I thought I might be able to sell them, I said. Now let's go before this house gets sucked up by the tornado. May I have them? She asked. No, absolutely not. Now get downstairs. You're too old for those toys anyway. What about this? She asked. She held up a rubber bone, one of the toys I had suspected was for a dog. The girl looked lovingly toward the pet in her brother's arms. For the love of God, fine. Give the dog the toy and go to the basement. The girl handed the bone to her eager dog and gave her brother a strange glance. I distinctly remember thinking it looked like they were silently communicating something. I went down the stairs, not looking back to see if I was followed. The light switch was on the wall next to the stairs. I flipped it, 
and nothing happened. The storm must have knocked the power out. The basement had a couple of egress windows that had been covered with brown craft paper, so I went to them to let what little light was available in. I tore the paper off the first window and realized I hadn't heard the kids come down. I turned around, thinking the sounds of wind, rain, and thunder had just drowned out their footsteps, but they really hadn't followed me. Frustrated, I returned to the stairs. I shouted, Hey kids, get down here! but didn't get any answer. Besides the storm noises, the house seemed eerily quiet. I put one foot on the steps and heard the lively clicking sound of tiny paws in the kitchen. Then the little dog appeared at the top of the stairs. It stared down at me with those untrustworthy eyes. I hated it. As I climbed the stairs, the dog didn't move. It just watched. When I tried to step around it, it followed my foot and growled at me. Get out of my way, I demanded as I tried again without any luck. Hey, one of you come get your dog, I shouted, but again received no answer. Totally out of patience, I pushed the dog with the toe of my boot. It lashed out and bit down, but its teeth didn't breach the boot's leather. I pushed the little dog out of my way while resisting the urge to fling it down the stairs. Then something poked my big toe. I looked down, shocked that the dog had managed to bite through, but then I felt two more pokes on the bottom of my foot and one more on top. The pokes became stabs, and I howled in pain. Somehow, impossibly, the tiny dog's teeth were puncturing the boot and my foot. They shouldn't have been long enough to break through the boot, let alone cut into my flesh. But even as I shouted and jumped around on one leg, I felt those teeth slicing through my skin, tearing into my muscles. I kicked the dog into the wall and it finally released my foot with a yelp. It landed on the floor as a pile of wet fur, then seemed to melt before my eyes. Lightning flashed and thunder cracked, but the danger outside seemed to pale in comparison to whatever I had brought in. Where the dog had fallen, a coiled black snake now rose. It opened its mouth to hiss at me, and I saw blood, my blood, on its long curved fangs. What the hell are you? I demanded, but didn't stick around for an answer. I ran through the kitchen, into the living room, and down the hall. I picked a room at random, went inside, and slammed the door shut. It happened to be the windowless bathroom. The darkness rudely reminded me that the power had gone out. I placed my hand on the edge of the counter. With my sight removed and my head still reeling from seeing a dog transform into a snake, I needed to grip that cold countertop to anchor me in reality. My foot throbbed and I wondered for the first time, but not the last, if I had been poisoned by some sort of hallucinogenic venom that was retroactively affecting my memory. The idea seemed ludicrous, but so did shape-shifting animals. Then there were those kids to worry about. Where had they disappeared to? Were they even children at all? I waited for my eyes to adjust to the darkness, but there wasn't any light in that bathroom at all. Not even the crack under the door supplied any light. I tried to listen at the door, but the storm was too loud. Thunder and wind covered up anything else I might have heard. I couldn't even hear the sirens anymore. But between thunderbursts, I did hear something distinctly unrelated to the weather. The crinkle of cellophane. A shuffle of feet behind me. I took my hand off the counter and raised both fists near my chin like an amateur boxer. There came the crinkling sound again, and I shouted incoherently into the darkness. Then it came to me. The simplest, most obvious solution to my darkness problem. My phone. 
I still had it in my front pocket where I mindlessly retrieved it dozens of times every day and had yet forgotten it when I most needed it. I slid it out into my hand and turned on its flashlight. The bathroom exploded with angelic white light contrasted by deep shadows, and I saw the source of the sounds. The little girl was crouched in front of the toilet, reaching behind it and licking snack wrappers that had been tossed there clean. Her hair had fallen over her face, but I could hear her lips smacking as she sucked chocolate from a candy bar wrapper right in front of me. Her dress, which had just been wet before, now looked filthy and disgusting. I'm pretty sure she had been digging through trash in the other rooms while I had been in the basement. Hey, I said. Her face whipped toward me, her hair flying out to the sides, and I saw her eyes reflect the phone's light. Only they weren't the eyes of the little girl I had let in. They were slitted, reptilian eyes. Her green irises had expanded outward toward the edges, pushing out all white. The cold-blooded stare with which she held me only communicated one thing. Hunger. Ravenous, greedy hunger. Her cheeks and chin were wet with her own saliva and smeared with barbecue dust and chocolate, which mixed together to look like old blood. She stood as I fumbled for the doorknob behind me. Her tongue slithered out from between her thin lips and licked the air. It was forked at the end. I found the knob and twisted it. I nearly fell over as I tumbled out of the bathroom and into the living room. Lightning flashed across the window. I saw my tarp blow straight up, hanging on for dear life. Someone's trash can from down the street was half sliding, half rolling down the road. I couldn't go out there, but I couldn't stay inside with the things I had let in either. A hand wrapped around my chest from behind. I recoiled, shook the hand off, and spun around to see the older child, the boy. I expected to see his eyes as green as his sister's, but he still looked relatively normal. Still, I kept my guard way up. I want you out. You, your sister, and your... I trailed off, realizing I wasn't sure what to call the snake dog. The boy smiled. He gestured to a chair that had been apparently cleaned off for me. Yeah, no, I'll stand, thanks, I replied. We mean you no harm, the boy said. I pointed at my bloody, punctured boot and said, I don't know if you and your pet are on the same page, kid, and where'd your freaky sister go? The female is not my sister, the boy replied. Once she satisfies her hunger, she will nest. Do not be afraid of her. Yeah, sorry, buddy, but I'm not ashamed to admit I'm afraid of all three of you. I want you out of here, storm or no storm. The boy bristled, but I continued. I don't know what you are or why you came here, but you're not welcome anymore. Neither are you, he replied. I heard a noise behind me and turned to see the little girl emerge from the bathroom. She had the snake, which had formerly been a dog, draped around her shoulders like a boa. Ha, a boa. The snake hissed a curse at me. This was our home long before it was yours, the girl said. I turned my head back and forth between her and the boy. We need it back, the boy said. Our nest, the girl stated distantly. Then she dropped the snake on the floor. It immediately came for me. I tried to run, but the boy's mouth unhinged and he hissed in my face. Long fangs grew out of his gums and came to a point less than an inch from my eyeballs, forcing me to stop. He held me there as the snake slithered up my legs like a corkscrew, snuck up my torso under my shirt, and finally wrapped around my throat. Do not resist, the boy said. He approached me from behind and grabbed both of my arms near the shoulders. He led me to the chair and forced me to sit. And there I sat with that threatening snake coiled around my neck. 
I watched as the little girl climbed into the pile of garbage on the other side of the living room. I watched as she lifted her dress up to her knees and squatted. But then my vision began to darken in the corners. I tried to speak, to tell the boy the snake was squeezing too hard, but the snake perceived my attempt to speak as an attack. It constricted, and after a couple of painful, dry gasps, I passed out. I awoke an undetermined amount of time later. I couldn't feel the foot that had been bitten. My vision returned hazily, and when I looked down, I thought I saw the boy laying against my legs. But as my vision slowly cleared, I saw the truth. He had unhinged his jaw again, and my injured foot was in his throat. I screamed and writhed. The snake around my neck started to constrict again, but I got one of my hands beneath it. The boy slithered back, and my foot appeared, sticky and wet, but whole. The puncture wounds had vanished, leaving only tiny, pale bumps of scar tissue behind. I had thought the boy meant to eat me, but he had healed me. Why? My body must have relaxed as I pondered the possibilities because the snake uncoiled from my neck and slithered down my arm, then the arm of the chair, and finally onto the floor. It moved through the trash on the floor as if it had the path memorized. The boy returned my boot to my foot, and unsure what else to do, I helped him put it back on. Then he sat across from me, cross-legged like a child awaiting a grandfather's story. The girl picked up the snake when it reached her, and it morphed back into a dog in her arms. I looked past them at the pile of garbage and remembered what had been happening before I passed out. The memory was forced upon me by what I saw there now. I had to suppress the urge to vomit. There, in the middle of all the putrid trash, was a pile of softball-sized eggs, still glistening with the ooze of birth. This is our nest, the girl said. I switched my gaze to her, too stunned to respond any further. Then the boy said, The man who lived here before you let us in first. We made our nest here. We were happy. But then he tricked us. How? I asked. The little girl giggled, and the dog made a sound not unlike a laugh too. But the boy did not laugh. He looked angry. It does not matter. We have learned from the past. We will not be expelled again. Maybe we'll just see about that, I said, making to stand and run for the door. The boy shifted on the floor, ready, but did not stand. He had predicted the most unexpected turn of events, a turn that happened within me. As I attempted to leave, I was overcome with emotion, a longing, a need to stay. I looked back at those helpless eggs and felt an overwhelming desire to protect them, to comfort them, to feed them. I shook my head, repeating no, 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 over and over again. Now the boy did stand. He took the dog from the little girl and stepped to me. Do not fight against it. It is a good thing. I saw his eyes shift down to my boot for a second. I thought of my foot, the foot he had healed. Had he done something more? The suspicion of poison crossed my mind once again. You will return in three weeks. In three weeks, it will be time, he instructed. And if I don't, I asked, but somehow I thought I would. The boy stepped forward and held out the dog. It tilted its head at me. He will ensure your safe return, the boy said. 
I replied, oh, that's not necessary, but the boy passed the dog to me anyway. Thankfully, it remained a dog, and has remained a dog for the past two weeks and six days. Tomorrow we return. We're going back to the nest. It will be time. Time for what? I don't know. Actually, I think I do. But best not to dwell on that. Although it's hard not to when this damn dog looks up at me with those greedy little eyes. It's even harder when it won't stop licking my legs. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.